Hello everybody, today I'll be reading part 2 of The Witches. Summer Holidays The Easter holidays came and went, and the summer term began at school. My grandmother and I had already planned to take our summer holiday in Norway. We talked about almost nothing else every evening. She had booked a cabin for each of us on the boat from Newcastle to Oslo at the earliest possible moment after my school broke up. And from Oslo, she was going to take me to a place she knew down on the south coast near Avondale, where she had spent her own summer holidays as a child nearly 80 years ago. All day long, she said, my brother and I were out in the rowing boat. The whole coast is dotted with tiny islands and there's nobody on them. We used to explore them and dive into the sea of the lovely smooth granite rocks and sometimes on the way out we would drop the anchor and fish for cod and whiting and if we caught anything we would build a fire on an island and fly the fish in a pan for our lunch. There's no finer fish in the world than absolutely fresh cod. What did you use for bacon, Mamma? When you went fishing? Mussels, she said. Everyone uses mussels for bait in Norway. And if we didn't catch any fish, we would boil the mussels in a saucepan and eat those. Were they good? Delicious, she said. Cook them in seawater, and they are tender and salty. What else did you do, Grandmama? Mm, we used to row out and wave to the shrimp boats on our way home, and they would stop and give us a handful of shrimps each. The shrimps were still warm from having been just cooked, and we'd sit in the rowing boat, peeling them and gobbling them up. The head was the best part. The head, I said. You squeeze the head between your teeth and suck out the inside. It's marvelous. You and I will do all those things in the summer, my darling, she said. Good, Mama. I can't wait. I simply can't wait to go. Nor can I, she said. When there were only three weeks of the summer term left, an awful thing happened. My grandmother got pneumonia. She became very ill, and a trained nurse moved into the house to look after her. The doctor explained to me that pneumonia is not normally a dangerous illness nowadays because of penicillin. But when a person is more than 80 years old, as my grandmother was, then it is very dangerous indeed. He said he didn't even dare to move her to a hospital in her condition, so she stayed in her bedroom and I hung about outside the door while the oxygen cylinders and all sorts of other frightening things were taken into her. Can I go in and see her? I asked. No, dear, the nurse said. Not at the moment. A fat and jolly lady called Mrs. Spring, who used to come and clean our house every day, also moved in and slept in the house. Mrs. Spring looked after me and cooked my meals. I liked her very much, but she was in patch on my grandmother for telling stories. One evening, about ten days later, the doctor came downstairs and said to me, You can go in and see her now, but only for a short time. She's been asking for you. I flew up the stairs and burst into my grandmother's room and threw myself into her arms. Hey there, the nurse said. Be careful with her. Will you be all right now, Grandma? I asked. The worst is over. She said. I'll soon be up again. Will she? I said to the nurse. Oh, yes. The nurse answered, smiling. She told us that she simply had to get better, but she had to look after you. I gave her another hug. 
but they won't let me have a cigar. But you wait till they're gone. She's a tough old bird, the nurse said. We'll have her up in another week. The nurse was right. Within a week, my grandmother was thumping around the house with a gold-topped cane and interfering with Mrs. Spring's cooking. I thank you for all your help, Miss Spring, but you can go home now, she said. Oh, no, I can't, Mrs. Spring said. Doctor told me to see that you take it very easy for the next few days. The doctor said uh, more than that. He dropped a bombshell on my grandmother and me by telling us that on no account were we to risk the journey to Norway this summer. Rubbish! My grandmother cried. I've promised him we'll go. It's too far, the doctor said. It would be very dangerous. But I'll tell you what you can do. You can take your grandson to a nice hotel on the south coast of England and said, The sea air is just what you need. Oh no! I said. Do you want your grandmother to die? The doctor asked me. Never! I said. Then don't let her go on a long journey this summer. She's not yet strong enough. Stop us smoking the Zavon black scars. Rooms were booked for us in a place called the Hotel Magnificent, in the famous seaside town of Bournemouth. Bournemouth, my grandmother told me, was full of old people like herself. They were tired there by the thousands because the air was so bracing and healthy, it kept them, so they believed, alive for a few extra years. Does it? I asked. Of course not, she it's said. Tommy Rot. But just for once... I think we've got to obey the doctor. Soon after that, my grandmother and I took the train to Bournemouth and settled into the Hotel Magnificent. It was an enormous white building on the seafront, and it looked to me like a pretty boring place to spend a summer holiday in. I had my own separate bedroom, but there was a door connecting my room with my grandmother's room so that we could visit each other without going into the cupboard door. Just before we left for Bournemouth, my grandmother had given me as consolation, a present of two white mice in a little cage, and of course I took them with me. They were terrific fun. Those mice. I called them William and Mary, and in the hotel I set out right away teaching them to do tricks. The first trick I taught them was to creep up the sleeve of my jacket and come out by my neck. Then I taught them to climb up the back of my neck onto the top of my head. I did this by putting cake crumbs in my hair. On the very first morning after our arrival, the chambermaid was making my bed when one of my mice poked its head out from under the sheets. The maid let out a shriek <coughs> that brought a dozen people running to see who was being murdered. I was reported to the manager. There followed an unpleasant scene in the manager's office with the manager, my grandmother, and me. The manager, whose name was Mr. Stringer, was a bristly man in a black tailcoat. I cannot permit mice in my hotel, madam, he said to my grandmother. How dare you say that when your hotel room is full of rats anyway? My grandmother cried. Rats? cried Mr. Stringer with a going mauve in the face. There are no rats in this hotel. I saw one this very morning. It was running down the corridor into the kitchen. That is not true. You had better get the rat checker in at once before I report you to the public health authorities. I expect there's rats scutting all over the kitchen floor and stealing the food off the shelves and jumping in and out of the soup. Never, cried Mrs. Stringer. No wonder my breakfast toast was all nibbled around the edges this morning. My grandmother went on relentlessly. No wonder it had a nasty, ratty taste. If you're not careful, 
the health people will be ordering the entire hotel to be closed before everyone gets typhoid fever. You all are being serious, madam. I was never more serious in my life. My grandmother said. Are you or are you not going to allow my grandson to keep his white mice in his room? The manager knew when he was beaten. May I suggest a compromise, madam? He said. I will permit him to keep them in this room as long as they are never allowed out of the cage. How's that? That would suit us very well, my grandmother said, as she stood up and marched out of the room with me behind her. There's no way you can train mice inside a cage. Yet I dared not let them out because the chambermaid was spying on me all the time. She had a key to my door and she kept bursting in at all hours, trying to catch me with the mice out of the cage. She told me that the first mouse to break the woods would be drowned in a bucket of water by the hot water. I decided to seek a safer place where I could carry on with the training. There must surely be an empty room in this enormous hotel. I put one mouse into each trouser pocket and wandered downstairs in search of a secret spot. The ground floor of the hotel was a maze of public rooms, all of them named in golden letters on the doors. I wandered through the lounge and the smoking room and the card room and the reading room and the drawing room. None of them was empty. I went down a long wide corridor and at the end of it I came to the ballroom. There were double doors leading into it and in front of the doors there was a large notice board on a stand. The notice on the board said RSPCC meeting. Strictly private, this room is reserved for the annual meeting of the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. The double doors into the room were open. I peeped in. It was a colossal room. There were rows and rows of chairs, all facing platform. The chairs were painted gold and they had little red cushions on the seats. But there was not a soul in sight. I sidled cautiously into the room. What a lovely secret silent place it was. The meeting of the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children must have taken place earlier in the day, and now they had all gone home. Even if they had it, even if they did suddenly come pouring in, there would be wonderfully kind people who would look with favour upon a young mass trainer going about his business. At the back of the room, there was a large folding screen with Chinese dragons painted on it. I decided just to be on the safe side to go behind the screen and do my training there. I wasn't a bit frightened of the prevention of cruelty to children people, but there was always a chance that Mr. Stringer the manager might pop his head round the door. If he did, and if he saw the mice, the poor things would be in the hall porter's bucket of water before I could shout stop. I tiptoed to the back of the room and settled myself on a thick green carpet behind the big screen. What a splendid place this was! Ideal for mass training. I took William and Mary out of my trouser pockets. They sat beside me on the carpet, quiet and well behaved. The trick I was going to teach them today was tightrope walking. It is not all that difficult to train an intelligent mouse to be an expert tightrope walker, provided you know exactly how to go about it. First, you must have a piece of string. I had that. Then you must have some good cake. A fine cone cake is the favourite food of void mice. They are dotty about it. I had brought with me a rock cake that I pocketed while having tea with Grandmama the day before. 
Now here's what you do. You stretch the string tight between your two hands, but you start by keeping it very short, only about three inches. You put the mouse on your right hand and a little piece of cake on your left hand. The mouse is therefore only three inches away from the cake. He can see it and he can smell it. His whiskers twitch with excitement. He can almost reach the cake by leaning forward, but not quite. He only has to take two steps along the string to reach his, this tasty morsel. He ventures forward, one paw on the string, then the other. If the mouse has a good sense of balance, and most of them have, he will get across easily. I started with William. He walked the string without a moment's hesitation. I let him have a quick nibble of the cake, just to whet his appetite. Then I put him back on my right hand. This time I lengthened the string. I made it about six inches long. William knew what to do. With superb balance, he walked step by step along the string until he reached the cake. He was rewarded with another nibble. Quite soon, William was walking a 24-inch tightrope, or rather tight string, from one hand to the other to reach the cake. It was wonderful to watch him. He was enjoying himself tremendously. I was careful to hold the string near the carpet so that if he did lose his balance, he wouldn't have far to fall. But he never failed. William was obviously a natural acrobat. A great, tight for barking mouse. Now it was Mary's turn. I put William on the carpet beside me and rewarded him with some extra crumbs and a comment. Then I started going through the same routine all over again with Mary. My blind and ambition, you see, my dream of dreams, was to become one day the owner of a white mice circus. I would have a small stage with red curtains in front of it, and when the curtains were drawn apart, the audience would see my world-famous performing mice walking on tightropes, swinging from trapezes, turning somersaults in the air, bouncing on trampolines, and all the rest of it. I would have white mice riding on white rats, and the rats would gallop furiously round and round the stage. I was beginning to picture myself traveling first class all over the globe with my famous white mouse circus and performing before the crown heads of Europe. I was about halfway through my machine when suddenly I heard voices outside the ballroom door. The sound grew louder. It swirled into a great babble of speech from many throats. I recognized the voice of the awful hotel manager, Mr. Stringer. Help, I thought. But thanks heavens for the huge screen. I crouched behind it and peered through the crowd between two of the folding sections. I could see the entire length and width of the ballroom without anyone seeing me. Well, ladies, I'm sure you'll be quite comfortable in here, Mr. Stringer's voice was saying. Then into the double doors he marched, black tailcoat and all, spreading his arms wide as he ushered in a great flock of ladies. If there's anything we can do for you, you do not hesitate to let me know. He went on. Tea will be served for all of you on the Sunshine Terrace after you have concluded your meeting. With that, he bowed and scraped himself out of the room as a vast herd of ladies from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children came streaming in. They wore pretty clothes, and all of them had hats on their heads. The Meeting Now that the manager had gone, I was not particularly alarmed. What better than to be imprisoned in a room full of these splendid ladies? If I ever got talking to them, I might even suggest that they come and do a bit of cruelty to children preventing at my school. We could certainly use them then. In they came, talking their heads off. They began milling around and choosing their seats, and there was a whole lot of stuff like, Oh, come and sit next to me, Millie dear. And, Oh, hello, Beatrice. I haven't seen you since the last meeting. What an adorable dress you have on. 
I decided to stay where I was and let them get on with our meeting while I got on with my mashing. But I watched them for one longer, through the crack in the screen, waiting for them to settle down. How many were there? I guessed about two uh, hundred. The back rows filled up first. They all seemed to want to sit as far back from the platform as possible. There was a lady wearing a tiny green hat in the middle of the back row who kept scratching the nape of her neck. She couldn't leave it alone. It fascinated me the way her fingers kept scratching away at the hair on the back of her neck. Had she known somebody was watching from behind, I'm sure she would have been embarrassed. I wondered if she had dandruff. All of a sudden, I noticed that the lady next to her was doing the same thing. And the next one. And the next. The whole lot of them were doing it. They were all scratching away like mad at their hair on the back of their necks. Did they have fleas in their hair? More likely it was nits. A boy at school to call Ashton had had nits in his hair last time and the major had made him dip his whole head in turpentine. It killed the nits on white, but nearly killed Ashton as well. Half a skin came away from his scalp. I began to be fascinated by these hair-scratching ladies. It is always funny when you catch someone doing something coarse and she thinks no one is looking. Nose-picking, for example, or scratching her bottom. Hair-scratching is very nearly as unattractive, especially if it goes on and on. I decided it had to be nits. Then the most astonishing thing happened. I saw one lady pushing her fingers up underneath the hair on her head. And the hair, the entire head of hair, lifted upwards all in one piece and the hand slid underneath the hair and went on scratching. She was wearing a wig. She was also wearing gloves. I glanced swiftly around at the rest of the now-seated audience. Every one of them was wearing gloves. My blood turned to ice. I began to shake all over. I glanced frantically behind me for a back door to escape through. There wasn't one. Should I leap out from behind the screen and make a dash for the double doors? Those double doors were already closed, and I could see a woman standing in front of them. She was bending forward and fixing some sort of a metal chain around the two door handles. Keep still, I told myself. No one has seen you yet. There's no reason in the world why they should come and look behind the screen. But one false move, one cough, one sneeze, one nose blow, one loud sound of any sort, and it won't be just one which that gets you. It'll be two hundred. At that point, I think I fainted. The whole thing was altogether too much for a small boy to cope with. But I don't believe I was out for more than a few seconds. And when I came to, I was lying on the carpet, and I was still, thank heavens, behind the screen. There was absolute silence all around me. Rather shakily, I got to my knees and peered once again through the crack in the screen. Frizzled like a fritter. All the women, or rather the witches, were now sitting motionless in their chairs and staring as though hypnotized at somebody who had suddenly appeared on the platform. That somebody was another woman. The first thing I noticed about this woman was her size. She was tiny, probably no more than four and a half feet tall. She looked quite young, I guessed about twenty-five or six, and she was very pretty. She had on a rather stylish long black dress that reached right to the ground, and she wore black gloves that came up to her elbows. Unlike the others, she wasn't wearing a hat. She didn't look to me like a witch at all, but she couldn't possibly not be one, otherwise what on earth was she doing up there on the platform? And why, for heaven's sake, were all the other witches gazing at her with such a mixture of... Adoration, oh, and uh, 
fear. Very slowly, the young lady on the platform raised her hands to her face. I saw her gloved fingers unhooking something behind her ears, and then, then, she caught hold of her cheeks and lifted her face clean away. The whole of that pretty face came away in her hands. It was a mask. As she took off the mask, she turned sideways and placed it carefully upon a small table nearby, and when she turned around again and faced us, I very nearly screamed out loud. That face of hers was the most frightful and frightening thing I've ever seen. Just looking at it gave me the shakes all over. It was so crumpled and wizened, so shrunken and shriveled. It looked as though it had been pickled in vinegar. It was a fearsome and ghastly sight. There's something terribly wrong with it. Something foul and putrid and decayed. It seemed quite literally to be rotting away at the edges. and the middle of the face, around the mouth and cheeks, I could see the skin all cankered and worm-eaten, as though maggots were working away in there. There are times when something is so frightful, you become mesmerized by it, and can't look away. I was like that now. I was transfixed. I was numbed. I was magnetized by the sheer horror of this woman's features. But there was more to it than that. There was a look of serpent in those eyes of hers as they flashed around the audience. I knew immediately, of course, that this was none other than the Grand High Witch herself. I knew also why she had worn a mask. She could never have moved around in public, let alone booking her at a hotel with her real face. Everyone who saw her would have run away screaming. The dolls! shouted the Grand High Witch in a voice that filled the room and bounced around the walls. I've been chained and bolted! The doors are chained and bolted, your grandness, answered a voice in the audience. The brilliant snake's eyes that were set so deep in that dreadful, rotting, worm-eaten face glared unblinkingly at the witches who sat facing her. You may move your gifts, she shouted. Her voice, I noticed, had that same hard, metallic quality as the voice of the witch I had met under the conquer tree. Only it was far louder and much, much harsher. It rasped, it grated, it snarled, it squeaked, it shrieked, and it growled. Everyone in the room was peeling off their gloves. I was watching the hands of those in the back row. I wanted very much to see what their fingers looked like and whether my grandmother had been right. Oh, yes, I could see several of them now. I could see the brown claws curving off the tips of the fingers. They were about two inches long, those claws, and sharp at the ends. Cling! You may remove your shoes, barked the Grand High Witch. I heard a sigh of relief going up from all the witches in the room as they kicked off their narrow high-heeled shoes. And then I got a glimpse under the chairs of several pairs of stockinged feet, square and completely toeless. Revolting they were, as though the toes had been sliced away from the feet with the carving knife. You may remove your wigs, snarled the Grand High Witch. She had a peculiar way of speaking. There was some sort of foreign accent there, something harsh and guttural, and she seemed to have trouble pronouncing the letter W. As well as that, she did have something funny with the letter R. She would roll it round and round her mouth like a piece of hot Pork crackling before spitting it out. Move your wigs and get some fresh air into your spotty skulls, 
she shouted, and another sigh of relief arose from the audience as all the heads went up to their heads and all the wigs with the hats still on them were lifted away. There now appeared in front of me row upon row of bald female heads, a sea of naked scalps, every one of them red and itchy-looking from being rubbed by the linings of the wigs. I simply cannot tell you how awful they were, and somehow the whole sight was made more grotesque because underneath those frightful scabby bald heads, those parties were dressed in fashionable and rather pretty clothes. It was monstrous. It was natural. Oh, heavens, I thought. Oh, help! Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. These foul, bald-headed females are shot killers, every one of them. And here I am, imprisoned in the same room, and I can't escape. At that point, a new and doubly horrifying thought struck me. My grandmother had said that with the special nose holes, they could smell out a child on a pitch-black night from right across the other side of the road. Up to now... My grandmother had been right every time. It seemed certainty, therefore, that one of the witches in the back row was going to sniff me out at any moment, and then the yell of dark droppings would go up all over the room, and I would be cornered like a rat. I knelt on the carpet behind the screen, hardly daring to breathe. Then suddenly, I remembered another very important thing my grandmother had told me. The dirtier you are, the harder it is. For which to smell you out. How long since I had last had a bath? Not for ages. I had my own room in the hotel and my grandmother never bothered with silly things like that. Come to think of it, I don't believe I'd had a bath since we arrived. When had at last washed my hands or face? Certainly not this morning. Not yesterday either. I glanced down on my hands. They were covered with smudge and mud and goodness knows what else besides. So perhaps I had a chance after all. The stink waves couldn't possibly get out through all that dirt. Witches of England! shouted the one-high witch. She herself, I noticed, had not taken off either her wig or her gloves or her shoes. Witches of England! she yelled. The audience stirred uneasily and sat up straight in their chairs. Miserable witches! she yelled. Useless, lazy witches, feeble, fribbling witches, you are a heap of either good-for-nothing worms. A shudder went through the audience. The Grand High Witch was clearly in an ugly mood, and they knew it. I had a feeling that something awful was going to happen soon. I am having my breakfast this morning, called the Grand High Witch, and I am looking out the window at the beach. And what am I singing? I am asking you, what am I singing? I am singing a revolting sight. I am singing hundreds, I am seeing thousands of parts of little children playing on the sand. It's putting me right out of my food. Why have you not got rid of them? She screamed. Why have you not robbed them all out of these filthy, smelly children? With each word she spoke, flakes of pale blue film shot from her mouth like little bullets. I'm asking you why, she screamed. Nobody answered her question. Children smell, she screamed. They stink out the world. We do not want these children around here.
the ball heads in the, on its own, nodded vigorously. Von Child, the Vic is no good to me! The Grand High Witch cried out, Is that the best you can do? We will do better, murmured the audience. Better! It's no good either, shrieked the Grand High Witch. And the men maximum results. To hear my orders! My orders! Of every single child in this country shall be rammed and squashed, squirted, squitted, and fritted before I come here again in one year's time. Do I make myself clear? <gasps> A great gasp went up from the audience. I saw the witches all looking at one another with deeply troubled expressions. And I heard one witch at the end of the front row singing out, All of them? Well, we can't possibly wipe out all of them. The Grand High Witch whipped round as though someone had stuck a skewer into her bottom. Who said that? She said, Who dares to argue with me? It was you, was it not? She pointed a glove finger, as sharp as a needle, at the witch who had spoken. Oh, I didn't mean it, your grandness. The witch cried out, I didn't mean to argue. I was just talking to myself. You dare to argue with me, screamed the Grand High Witch. I, I was just talking to myself cried the wretched witch. I swear it's your grandness. She began to shake with fear. The grand high witch took a quick step forward, and when she spoke again, it was in a voice that made my blood run cold. The stupid witch who answers back must burn until her bones are black. She screamed. No, no, begged the witch in the front row. The grand high witch went on. A foolish witch without a brain must sizzle in the fiery flame. Save me! cried the wretched witch in the front row. The Grand High Witch took no notice of her. She spoke again. An idiotic witch like you must roast upon the barbecue. Oh, forgive me, oh, your grandness, cried the miserable culprit. I didn't mean it. But the Grand High Witch continued with a terrible recital. A witch who dares to say I'm wrong will not be with us very long. A moment later, a stream of sparks that looked like tiny white-hot metal fillings came shooting out of the Grand High Witch's eyes and flew straight towards the one who had dared to speak. I saw the sparks striking against her and bowing into her, and she screamed a horrible howling scream, and a puff of smoke rose up around her. A smell of burning meat filled the room. Nobody moved. Like me, they were all watching the smoke. And when it had cleared away, the chair was empty. I caught a glimpse of something wispy white, like a little cloud fluttering upwards and disappearing out of the window. <sighs> a great sigh rose up from the audience. The Grand High Witch glared around the room. I hope nobody else is going to make me cross today, she remarked. There was a deathly silence. Frizzled like a fritter, said the Grand High Witch. Cooked like a cat. You will never see her again. Now, we can get down to business. Formula 86. Delayed action. Mouse maker. Children are revolting, screamed the Grand High Witch. We will wipe them all away. We will scrub them off the face of the earth. We will flush them down the drain. Yes, yes, chanted the audience. Wipe them away, scrub them off the earth. 
flushed them down the drain. Children are foul and filthy, thundered the Grand High Witch. They are, they are, chorused the English witches. They are foul and filthy. Children are dirty and stinky, screamed the Grand High Witch. Dirty and stinky, cried the audience, getting more and more worked up. Children are smelling of dogs' droppings, squeezed the Grand High Witch. Pooh! cried the audience. Pooh! Pooh! They are worse than dogs' droppings, squeezed the Grand High Witch. Dogs' droppings are smelling like violets and primroses compared with children. Violets and primroses! Chanted the audience. They were clapping and cheering, almost every word spoken from the platform. The speaker seemed to have them completely under a spell. To talk about children is making me sick, screamed the Grand High Witch. I'm feeling sick of thinking about children. Ah, for your passing. The Grand High Witch paused and glared at the mass of eager faces in the audience. They waited, wanting more. So now, barked the Grand High Witch. So now, I'm having a plan. I'm having a gigantic plan for getting rid of every single child in the whole of England. The witches gasped. They gaped. They turned and gave each other ghoulish grins of excitement. Stop. It's a ghoul. Ghoulish grins, not ghoulish grins. I cannot accept that. They gaped. They turned and gave each other ghoulish grins of excitement. Yes! Thundered the Grand High Witch. We shall switch them and develop them and we shall make them to disappear every single smelly little brat in England in one stroke. Whoopee! Cried the witches, clapping their hands. You are brilliant! Oh, your greatness! You are fantabulous! Shut up and listen! Snapped the Grand High Witch. Listen very carefully and let us not be having any muck ups. The audience leaned forward, eager to learn how this magic was going to be performed. Each and every one of you, thundered the Grand High Witch, is to go back to your hometowns immediately and resign from your jobs. Resign! Give notice, retire! We will! They cried. We will we'll resign from our jobs. And after you have resigned from your jobs, the Grand High Witch went on. Each and every one of you will be going out and you will be buying. She paused. What will we be buying? They cried. Tell, Tell us, so brilliant one, what is it we shall be buying? Sweet shops! shouted the Grand High Witch. Sweet shops! They cried. We are, we are going, going to buy sweet shops. What a frumptious wheeze! Each of you will be buying for yourself a sweet shop. You will be buying the very best and most respectable sweet shops in England. We will, we will, we will, they answered. The dreadful voices were like a chorus of dentist drills, all grinding away together. I'm wanting no tuppenny, penny, crummy little tobacco selling newspapers sweet shops, shouted the Grand High Witch. I'm wanting you to get only the very best shops filled up high with pads and pads of luscious sweets and tasty chucks. The best, they cried. We, we shall, shall buy the best sweet shops in town. You will be having no trouble in getting what you want, shouted the one high witch, because you will be offering four times as much as the shop is worth and nobody is refusing an offer like that. Money is not a problem to us witches as you know very well. I've brought 
Butter with me six chunks stuffed full of English banknotes, all new and crisp. And all of them, she added with a fiendish leer, all of them, homemade. The witches in the audience grinned, appreciating the joke. At that point, one foolish witch got so excited at the possibilities presented by owning a sweet shop that she leapt to her feet and shouted, Ah, the children will come flying into my shop and I will feed them poison sweets and poison chunks and wipe them all out like weasels. The room became suddenly silent. I saw the tiny body of the Grand High Witch stiffen and then go rigid with rage. Who spoke? she shrieked. It was you! You! Over there! You! Over there! The goblin sat down fast and covered her face with her clawed hands. You blithering pumpkin! screeched the Grand High Witch. You brainless bob vumper! Are you not realizing that if you are going around poisoning little children, you will be caught in five minutes flat? Never in my life am I hearing such a bush, volloping suggestion coming from a witch. The entire audience cowered and shook. I'm quite sure they all thought, as I did, that the terrible white hot sparks were about to start flying again. Curiously enough, they didn't. That's such a dumb fiddling idea as all you can be coming up with thundered the Grand High Witch. Then it is no wonder England shall swarm and was and the children. There was another silence. The Grand High Witch glared at the witches in the audience. Do you not know? shouted them. That these witches are working on you with magic. We know, your Grandis, the honor answered. Oh, of course we know. The Grand High Witch grated her bony gloved hands against each other and cried out, so, each of you is owning a magnificent sweet shop. The next move is that each of you will be announcing the window of your shop that on a certain day you will be having a great gala opening with freeze wits and chucks to every chat. Oh, that will bring them in, the greedy little brutes, cried the audience. They'll be fighting together with the doors. Next, continued the Grand High Witch. You will prepare yourselves for this great gala opening by feeding every chuck and every sweet in your shop with my very latest and greatest magic formula. This is known as Formula 86, Delayed Action Mouse Maker. Delayed Action Mouse Maker! They chanted. She's done it again! Her grandness has concocted yet another of a wondrous magic child killers. How do we make it? Oh, brilliant one. Exercise patience, answered the Grand High Witch. First, I'm explaining to you how my Formula 86 delayed action must make this working. Listen carefully. We are listening, cried the audience, who are now jumping up and down in their chairs with excitement. Delayed action must make is a green liquid, explained the Grand High Witch. And one droplet in each chuck will be quite enough. So, here is what happens. Child eats chuck which has in it a delayed action must make a liquid. Child goes home feeling fine. Child goes to bed still feeling fine. Child wakes up in the morning still okay. Child goes to school still feeling fine. 
formula you understand is delayed action and is not working yet. We, we understand, understand oh one cried the audience. But when does it start working? It is starting to work at exactly nine o'clock when the child is arriving at school, shouted the Grand High Witch triumphantly. Child arrives at school! The late action mouse maker immediately starts to work. Child starts to shrink. Child is starting to grow fur. Child is starting to grow tail. All this happening in precisely 26 seconds. After 26 seconds, child is not a child any longer. It is a mouse. A mouse, cried the witches. What, what a ferocious thought. Glassworms will be swarming with mice, shouted the Grand High Witch. Chaos and pandemonium will be raining in every school in England. Teachers will be hopping up and down. Women teachers will be standing on desks and holding up skirts and yelling, Help, help, help. They will, they will, they will, cried the audience. And what, shouted the Grand High Witch, is happening next in every school. Tell us, they cried. Tell, Tell us, oh brainy one. The Grand High Witch stretched her stringy neck forward and grinned at the audience, showing two rows of pointed teeth slightly blue. She raised her voice louder than ever and shouted, Mouse traps is coming out! Mouse traps! cried the witches. And cheese! shouted the Grand High Witch. Teachers are out rushing and running out and getting mouse traps. And baiting them with cheese and putting them down all over school. Mice is nibbling cheese mouse traps is going off. All over school mouse traps is going snap and snap. And mouse heads rolling across the floor like marbles. All over England in every school in England the noise of snapping mouse traps with the head. At this point the disgusting old Grand High Witch began to do sort of Witches dance up and down the platform, stamping her feet and clapping her hands. The entire audience joined in the clapping and the foot stamping. They were making such a tremendous racket that I thought surely Mr. Stringer would hear it and come banging at the door. But he didn't. Then above all the noise, I heard the voice of the Grand High Witch screaming out some sort of an awful gloating song. Down with children, do them in, boil their bones and fry their skin. Bash them, squish them, bash them, mash them, break them, shake them, slash them, smash them. Offer trucks with magic powder, say eat up, then say louder. Cram them full of sticky eats, send them all to Gosling's feet. And in the morning, little fools go marching off to separate schools. A girl feels sick and goes all pale. She'll say, look, I've grown a tail. A boy standing next to her screams, hey, but I think I'm growing far. In other shots, we look like freaks. Three whiskers growing on our cheeks. A boy who was extremely tall cries out for small and growing small. Four tiny legs begin to sprout from everybody round about and all at once all in a trice. There are no children, only mice. In every school is mice galore all running around the schoolroom floor. And all the poor demented teachers is yelling, hey, who are these creatures? They stand upon the desks and shout, get out, you filthy mice, get out. Will someone fetch some mushrooms, please? And don't forget to bring the cheese. The mushrooms come in every trap. Go snippy snip and snappy snap. 
The mouse traps have a powerful spring. The springs just crack and snap and ping. It's lovely noise for us to hear. It's music to a witch's ear. Dead mice is every place around, part two feet deep upon the ground. The teacher's searching left and right, but not a single child in sight. The teacher's cry, what's going on? Oh, where have all the children gone? It's half past nine, and as a rule, they're never late as this for school. Poor teachers don't know what to do, some sit and read, and just a few amuse themselves throughout the day, by sweeping all the mice away, and all his witches shout, hooray! Thank you for listening to part two of The Witches by Waldahl.